Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. If you're like many people, throughout your life, you may have developed some trust issues. This is not unusual, since at one time or another, most of us have had someone violate our trust. God knows this, yet He calls everyone to put their trust in Him. The Lord wants you to learn and experience that even when life seems to be against you, you can still trust Him. Today we go back 4,000 years to Genesis chapter 15 and see the more we trust God, the more we can experience His goodness even in difficult times. Here's Pastor Jim in part one of his message, How Do You Know You Can Trust God? Well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands But I wonder how many of you sitting here today would say that you have trust issues. How many of you would be willing to admit that you have trust issues? Now, to some extent, we all probably do. We have all had at some point in time, and if you haven't yet, you will, somebody violate our trust which is actually very interesting when you think about it because Jesus and the apostles taught that the way to get to heaven is to repent and believe. What does it mean, repent and believe? What does that mean? Repent means to turn to God and believe means to put your trust in Jesus Christ. So it's hard to trust if you have trust issues. And I think a lot of us would say that for Our Christian lives, if you're here, you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here. We all started that way. And but we would say that perhaps trusting God is one of the most difficult things to do at times in the Christian life. Last week we talked about that God is good all the time, yet sometimes it seems everything is against you. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like everything is against you? And then sometimes you may be, well, you're very spiritual people. I know you come to church on Sunday during virus season. But, but, but if you're anything like me, sometimes I say to God, you know, God, I feel like everything and everyone is against me. And I hate to say it, but that includes you. <laughs> I just feel like nothing is going right. Now, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus... Or if you're new to following Jesus, let me just tell you something that's really odd. Don't ask me how it works. I have no idea. It's just miraculous. But I've noticed that all my years being a follower of Jesus, the more you trust the Lord, the more you experience his goodness, despite the circumstances despite the fact that your faith seems to be constantly being challenged by the events of your life, the more you trust him, the more you seem to experience his goodness. In the New Testament, after Jesus ascended into heaven, there's a letter, a book called Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter we call the Hall of Faith. And what's interesting about the Hall of Faith is it's full of people, you know, really Old Testament people, who trusted God for promises they could not see. And for most of them, promises they 
never saw, but they trusted God. It says of Abraham that he looked forward to a city whose builder and maker was God, the man we're reading about here in Genesis chapter 15. And so the title of our message is, How Do You Know You Can Trust God? I mean, how do you know? That's a logical, logical question if you have trust issues. How can we have reassurance from God? How can we have our doubts about God removed? You know, how do we know that we can trust God's promises? It's very interesting. Theologians often uh, refer to the reason we can trust his promises, and they use the word covenant. Covenant. God makes a covenant with us, and that's why we can trust his promises. Some of you say, well, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a Bible scholar. Well, in his grace, what God often does in the scriptures is he gives us pictures So you're going to all have to use your imaginations today. He gives us pictures of how he can be trusted. And in 4,000 years ago, here in Genesis 15, 2,000 years before Jesus came along, the Lord gives us a great picture. Well, last week in verses 1 through 6, the Lord assured Abraham, although he was very old and his wife was well past childbearing years, that they would have the son of the promise. They would have many descendants and that they would have a son. And this week, the promise moves from the son to the land. He had promised that he was going to have a great land. And so he says to uh, Abram in verse 7, Then he said to him, this would be the Lord speaking to Abraham, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am your protector. I am your provider who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans. Remember, Abraham was a pagan. That's where he used to live. Abram, Abraham, same guy. To give you this land to inherit, to possess it. So he's in the promised land. He's in Canaan right now. And he says, I I brought you out of there to this land to inherit it. So if you're going to inherit something, what does that usually mean? You don't have it yet. So he doesn't have it yet. We know he doesn't have it yet. Verse 8, and he, Abraham, said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he wants reassurance. Now, notice what happens right out of the box here. I love this about God. Most of the time. (laughs) The Lord comes to him. He comes to him. You know, that's, that's what God does. He comes to you. Maybe you're exploring faith and you're thinking, well, no, I came to church. I came to God today. Okay, fine. You'll, you'll, you'll eventually realize that it was God that came to you. And I think of, I think of a, an arrogant, very, very arrogant, with a vast-growing business, you know, pot-smoking, beer-drinking jerk. 28 years old, God came to him. Jesus came to him. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about me. God just showed up, and I'm like, what are you doing here? (laughs) It took me a little while to recognize him. But he just just shows up. That's what he does. And he reminds Abraham, and, and God 
shows up constantly in my life, generally when I'm reading the Bible, and, and he reminds him in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I am the one who brought you out of where you used to be. If you're a follower of Jesus and your story is one of, of not such a pretty past like mine, sometimes God needs to say to you, and he says it to me, something like this, hey boy, remember who brought you here. And so he says, I'm the one who brought you here. Look at the land around you. I know you don't have it yet, but look around you. I brought you here. It's like the Lord says to him, I created you. I have been protecting you. I have been providing for you. I have been overseeing your destiny. I am your Savior. Now, is the timing of the promise what Abraham wants? He wants a son. Now he's too old, and his wife is too old to have kids. Is that good timing? No, no. We say this all the time around here. If you're new, this is the kind of, we try to be really honest around here. If you say to Christian people, is God's timing perfect? They go, oh, yes, Pastor Jim, of course, it's always on time. And inside, I look at your eyes, and inside, you're like, he's always late, Somebody needs to buy him a calendar and a watch or something, man, because he always seems to be late as far as I'm concerned. That's the way Abraham is probably feeling about this time. It wasn't what he wanted. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have the land yet. Although, like most of us probably should do, Abraham probably has to say, you know something, I got to admit this, God, you have taken care of me. I mean, I'm still alive. You have gotten me through to this point. And I think, I think our failure to admit God's care and how he is taking care of us really explains a lot of our faith waffling, explains why a lot of people walk away from God because he just didn't do things fast enough. You ever have a friend you invite to church and they come one time and you're like, it didn't work for me. That's like, like somebody who's terribly out of shape. They go to the gym one time. They wake up the next day, they're sore, and they're like, oh, forget this. Didn't work for me. <laughs> like, like, what were they expecting? They die at one day. And they're like, I'm heavier than the day before? I don't get it. <laughs> you know, we, we just, you know, we, we are impatient people. In the same way, God said last week, I will give you a son. This week, he says, listen, I want to remind you of something. My plan is still to give you the land. I want to reassure you in that. This is important for all of us to remember. What the Lord has done for us in the past, very helpful for us to remember before we move on or before we move forward in faith. Because if you always forget what he's done, if you have an attitude towards God of like, what have you done for me lately? You will not move on in faith. I don't care how much verbiage you give to it. I speak from experience. You'll move on in the flesh. What do I mean by that? You will not be guided by faith. You will be guided by your emotions, your fears, your desires. Those will be the things that will make the decisions for you. And then sure enough, when it goes south, you'll be like, God, how did I get here? <laughs> you should remember that when we remember 
the faithfulness of God, as we move forward into the unknown, that will give us boldness, not obnoxiousness. That will give us boldness. When we remember what God has done for us in the past and we move forward in boldness, we also move forward in the power of God's Spirit for service. Last week, we read in verse 6 that Abraham believed God. Now, we, might, we don't know how much time comes in between, but some might say that verse 8 is unbelief and doubt. Others would simply say this, I think this is just the request of faith. He said, God, I just need more reassurance. Let's be honest again. <laughs> if you're new, you're going to find this amazingly comforting. Because if you've been hanging out with a bunch of spiritual people, they, they want to make it seem to you that faith is neat and clean. Faith is not neat and clean. Faith is messy. And if you're looking around this room and go, well, their faith is neat and clean. I know most of them. And their faith is not neat and clean. It's just like mine. It can be very, very messy at times. It's not always easy. It's not always effortless. And to be honest, we need reassurance from the Lord. We need reassurance from the Lord. Now, I'm just going to pick on the husbands for a second. Easy targets, especially because I am one. You husbands, you know this. Your wife knows that you love her. If she doesn't, come see me. (laughs) Your wife knows that you love her, yet what does she say to you? Please tell me you love me. (laughs) She wants reassurance. Reassurance. Now, my beloved wife, I won't tell you where she's sitting. (laughs) She's the pretty one laughing with her head down right now. Whenever she does something and she thinks I'm not particularly happy about it, she'll say this to me, but you know you love me. (laughs) And I'll be like, you're darn right I do. See, Abraham just needs reassurance. He wants to know more about God's plan. He wants to have greater understanding. And so basically, he asks for a sign. Remember, we said he doesn't have much of a Bible to go on. He's only on page 11. (laughs) We've got the whole book. And you might say, I I, I want that too. And, And I don't always get it when I read the Bible. I would say this. Look for in your life what we sometimes refer to around here as grace markers. Just look for a little activity in your life that God is just showing you, like, hey, I'm here. It's simple things. It's really simple things. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're not too happy about something, and then you get a text from someone, or you, silly things, you, you know, you, 
you're in the drive-thru at the bank and there's a long line and they open up a, a green light. Nobody goes and you zip in front of everybody else and you go in or you get a parking spot or something like that. Just look for little things to remind you that, that God is there. Verse 9, so he, the Lord, said to him, let's stop right there. What would you expect God to say? I mean, he's taken, him, he's taken this guy all over the place. He's made him a very, he's a very wealthy man. Remember that? He, he covered his sin in Egypt. He then went to war against all the kings. You know, Ketalormer and, and the other three kings are outnumbered like crazy. He beats them in the war. Frees his nephew Lot. I mean, God has done so much for this guy. Okay, he doesn't have a son yet, and he doesn't have the land yet, but he's done so much for this guy. What would you expect God to say? Would you expect him to say, man, you just have to have faith. That's what we say to people sometimes, don't we? You just have to have faith. We wonder why our people, our family members are like, I don't want to sit next to that guy at Thanksgiving dinner ever again. Or, or would you expect God to say something like, yo, Abe, man, you got to get it together. you got to get it together, man. It's very interesting in the Bible, there's a lot of different examples. I'll just give you three. Uh, Gideon, Hezekiah, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all. They're confused and they're doubting God and they ask the Lord for confirmation. They ask God for grace markers and God graciously gives it to them. Graciously gives it to them. So let's pick up verse 9 again. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, that's a cow if you don't know, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him. So Abraham brought them all to God. And interesting, there's no instructions. It seems like Abraham knows what to do. And he cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in two. So get the picture right here. He takes the animals, the big ones, he cuts them in two, and he puts half on one side and half on the other side, and half on one side and half on the other side, and half on one side and half on the other side. We did that one time in youth group. We had cut out animals, and so we had all the kids place them across, and then we all walk through together. We're not going to do that today. We're going to use real animals. John, would you bring them forward, please? <laughs> he won't come. Okay, Pastor John, would you please bring them through? Okay. So, so he cuts them and he, and he puts them opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in two. By the way, this is my excuse. Men, you can use this one too. That is why in 30 Thanksgivings with my beloved wife, I have never cut the Thanksgiving turkey. That's why I use that. Now, that's not really the truth. That's not why I don't. It's because I've been banished from the kitchen. And I don't just mean on Thanksgiving. <laughs> now, why would Pam banish me from the kitchen? Well, verse 11 explains it. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. <laughs> 
my wife calls me the picker. <laughs> when I was growing up, my mom would go, hey, you want to taste some of this, what I'm making? I would go in and pick and pick, pick, pick. And then my wife's like, you ain't married to your mother. <laughs> so what, what's with the deal with the vulture? Some, some Bible scholars think that the vulture symbolized the opposition and that we have to be active in driving the opposition to God out of our own hearts. Now, is that true here? I don't know. But I do know it is true (laughs) that we have to work hard to drive the opposition to God out of our hearts. So what's going on here? You go, this is so confusing. God is making a covenant with Abraham, and he's he's giving Abraham a visual of his promise. This is important, loved ones. God does not dismiss your struggles. He does not dismiss your doubts. He doesn't give you a refrigerator magnet. Not that there's anything wrong with refrigerator magnets. What does he do? He gives you himself. And what more could you ever do than to give someone yourself? That's one of the things that makes the marriage ceremony so sacred. Because one person is saying to the other, I give myself to you. Now, this is what is known as cutting a covenant, where two parties enter into a binding agreement. The animals are cut in half, placed on opposite sides of one another, and then the two parties walk in between the animals. So what is this? It is a walk-through visual that says... Each party saying to the other, if I fail to keep my promise to you, may this happen to me. May I be cut in two. May I die for not keeping my word. In other words, they would act out the consequences of being torn to pieces for not keeping the covenant. Now, The best explanation of this comes probably some 1,400, 1,300, 1,400 years later in the Old Testament when Babylon was on the move against Jerusalem. And King Zedekiah, everybody go, King Zedekiah, and a bunch of slave owners, many of whom were leaders, cut a covenant with their slaves and said, we're going to set you free. I guess that's not very noble. (laughs) Your city's about to be leveled and you're like, well, I guess I'll let you guys go free. Maybe you can go do something else. But what happened? Babylon stopped marching. The Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem was in phases. So they stopped marching and then these people went back on their covenant. Zedekiah, the leaders, the slave owners, they went back on it. And Jeremiah 34, 18 through 19, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version because it makes it a lot easier to understand this, says this, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, this is God speaking, I will make them like the calf that they cut into and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, 
the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the hearts of the calf. So he's saying these guys that broke the covenant and took the slaves back, they are going to meet their death because they broke the covenant. Now let's go to verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror, some versions say terror, and great, other versions say dreadful, darkness fell upon him. What is this? This is what's about to take place is what we call a theophany. It is a visible appearance of the living God. And so this is fear in the presence of a holy God. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for coming. Please, it's important that we understand what this is. It is the holiness of God, the holy perfection of God, is what reveals us as sinners. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.